Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is I Fund Women with Karen Kahn. Women founded companies receive 2.3% of venture capital. 2.3% female founders of color receive 0.64% of VC dollars. Today on Money Stories, we're joined by Karen Kahn, the founder and CEO of iFundWomen, a startup funding platform for women entrepreneurs. The mission of iFundWomen is to close the funding and confidence gap by providing a full stack solution that connects innovators to crowdfunding, grants, expert business coaching, and a vibrant community of women business owners collaborating on how to win. Together, we'll dive deeper into Karen's background with Google, her ambitions for the future, and her insights into the power of women's innovation. Well, we are thrilled to welcome Karen Kahn to today's Money Stories. Karen has so many things to share with us. She connects women and money, and I know we both agree that's a good thing. So Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about women and money and economic empowerment for women. It's my favorite topic. So I'm thrilled to be here. Let's get to it. Terrific. Let's get to it. Well, I'd like to begin our money stories on a more, a little more personal note. And one of the things that I think we know, but we, maybe we don't think about too much is how early our money experiences start from early in life, our families, however we learn about it. So could you, just to kick us off, could you share any family experiences that come to mind about money and, and maybe what that did for you? Yes, I can actually. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a middle-class suburban um, neighborhood outside of Boston. And um, my, I learned a few key things. So I would say the first key thing I learned from my dad when I went off to college, he handed me an American Express card that I had to pay. He wasn't paying for it. I had to pay. And he said, never buy anything that you cannot afford. Do not run up credit card debt. And this is for emergencies mm-hmm. and you're paying it. And from then on in, and I'd never had a credit card in high school. We didn't have, I mean, I had an ATM card because I always worked. I loved to work. So from the time I was 13, back then that was the legal age of working. I had a job at the mall. I had a job. Mm-hmm. I was always a salesperson. So I was working at a sporting goods store and they would have contests who could sell the most Columbia ski jackets in a month. And I was always winning the contests. I loved to work. I loved making a paycheck from age 13. So I worked all the way through high school. I worked through college. Um, But so that work ethic was definitely instilled in me for sure with my parents because, you know, they didn't have funny money to give me to be with my friends on the weekends. Mm -hmm. If I wanted funny money, I had to earn it on my own, which I loved doing. But then also my dad saying to me, don't buy things you can't afford and don't rack up any credit card debt ever. Mm -hmm. That was the best piece of advice. And the reason he gave me that advice was because he was experiencing 
without going into too much detail, because I don't want to give, you know, air my parents who have been mm-hmm. married for over 50 years mm-hmm. and are amazing. Mm-hmm. And if they're dirty laundry, but their generation wasn't taught those things. Right. Their generation was taught credit is great, run mm-hmm. up the credit, refinance your mortgage, you know, all the things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't an easy road for them. So that was a great piece of advice my dad gave me. Well, this, thank you so much for sharing those three pieces because it's, we see how far it goes back. Your, your parents have, exp- have their own money story that informs them. You get this work ethic, which I'm sure was both within you already and encouraged either overtly or, or however, and then it's a practical skills on top of that. So Absolutely. That's, a, that's a really great way to think about a money story. So you, you went off to college and then my goodness, you started this amazing company with premier or career, excuse me, with premier technology companies beginning with Google and significant impact there. And then going on to key roles at YouTube and AOL. I mean, these again, really successful companies. At what point did you re- think that you had become successful? Oh, that's such a good question. I've always had an outsized level of confidence. And I also never measured success by money. And I feel that way even still today, as we're Mm -hmm. talking about women and money, I don't measure my success as a human by money. So and I know this is sort of counter to what we're talking about. It might sound a little bit strange. No. Nope. Um, but I felt successful, you know, as a young woman or as a teenager when I was accomplishing a goal or accomplishing something. And that gave me self-esteem, that built up my confidence. And so in terms of my career, I felt valued when I applied to work at Google and this was in December of 2000, pardon me, December Mm -hmm. of 2000, I was working at salon.com at the time and they're still around, it's a web magazine and Mm -hmm. I was selling banners, literally slinging banners. Selling skills. (laughs) And um, I realized that I was selling these banners to advertisers and the I wasn't getting repeat business. People weren't signing back up. And I was perplexed, like, why aren't people signing back up? So I looked at the data in the analytics and saw that when people were seeing the banners, they were not clicking on them. And if they were clicking on them, they weren't doing anything when they went to the advertiser's website. So I thought to myself, okay, the internet is gonna be all about ROI-based advertising and that's what's gonna fund the internet. Mm -hmm. I knew that from a very young age. And so I went to my media buyers who became friends and I said, what on your media plan works? What drives ROI for advertisers? And they said, search. So I sent my resume to Google, Lycos and Alta Vista. Wow. (laughs) And I sent my resume to jobs at google.com. That's how you did it back then. Mm -hmm. And I got a phone call right back. And I was hired three weeks later. So I think that was the first moment when I felt successful in my career because I had built up 
a Rolodex, another Mm -hmm. very dated term, Mm -hmm. a Rolodex of buyers in New England and in Canada and in my territory that I was covering for Salon. And that's what Google needed at the Mm -hmm. time was someone to come cover the entire country of Canada and all of New England. (laughs) What a region. I know. What a region. So you Um, realize I have value to bring. Correct. That's the first time I felt like I really had value and I had expertise and that value, and there was a value placed on that value. And that value ended up making me extraordinarily wealthy. So in the, in those, speaking of that, then on the money side, on those, in those corporate roles, did you have to advocate for yourself financially at any point in those roles? Or, or did you have a company that, you know, was wise enough to think ahead of you? So at Google, it didn't, at the time at Google, when I was there, which was so long ago, right? there didn't, I wasn't aware of a wage gap. There may have been, I wasn't aware of one. I was paid extraordinarily well. I also managed a team and I knew how much they made Mm -hmm. and they have these levels and, you know, everyone's heard about the levels of Google. It's you get to level seven or eight, and then you're never going to move any higher. So um, I was always played really well at Google when I was recruited to go to AOL, I negotiated an insane package. So you just said it, you negotiated. Oh yeah. So I was like, if you're gonna get, get me from the place with the golden handcuffs, you're gonna not only buy me out of the golden handcuffs, you're gonna buy me out of the potential future of the golden handcuffs. And then you're gonna pay me a crazy salary because wearing the t-shirt for me, wearing the Google YouTube t-shirt was like, I was in my YouTube hoodie mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. And wearing an AOL t-shirt at that time was a little bit more, they were gonna have to pay me a lot to do that. So I'm good at negotiating for myself. And also to be honest, I have to give a shout out to Cheryl Sandberg, which I'm not you know, a lean in person. It's not like I'm anti, I think it's great what she does, but um, I read lean in when it came out mm-hmm. and realized that I ha- exhibited a lot of the behaviors that most women exhibit when they negotiate. We negotiate against ourselves. We think mm-hmm. of all the scenarios about why we don't deserve a promotion or you know, all the things. And not that I was doing that, but some of the things I was doing. So I read that book and that was before I went to AOL. And I also followed the advice of another woman uh, called Cindy Gallup. I don't know if you've heard of Cindy. She's a big, um, she's a tech founder and she's, uh, She's a, she's a very outspoken feminist in tech and she's amazing. And, and she gave a TED talk and one of the pieces of her talk was about negotiating and about women and women should, and her advice was think of a number that you would laugh at that is so ridiculous and go in with that. And then there's nowhere to go, but you know, they could say yes to your ridiculous number, which usually they do. They do, or you're going to at least get more than what you wanted in the first place. So that was another great piece of advice that I got early on in my career, go in with a crazy number. That's going to make you laugh that you're going to have to rehearse, not laughing about it. Right. And um, I've pretty much done that and it works. You know, what you're saying is a couple things. I have, have a very good friend recently. We were talking about this topic and she said, I know what to do. I'm just not doing it. So what strikes me is that you've 
figured out what to do, what you didn't know you learned, and then you applied that. You actually had the confidence, gumption, smarts, all of that to actually do it. So let me ask you a question about your friend. Is she financially stable? Because I'm very privileged to be able to be outspoken and to say, you know, I want to be paid X, Y, and Z because I had already built my wealth. Mm -hmm. So I was an early Googler. I made a lot of money in the IPO. So after 2004, I was a multi, multi multi-millionaire and I was in my early thirties. So, you know, there's this mentality and I just want to be transparent with your listeners because- this is a very, very, very privileged position to be in. And when you are in that position and you know, you're like, what are you gonna do? Fire me or say no? Right. Oh, well, I still have plenty of money. I can feed my kids. I can buy, you know, my house is paid off. My kids can go to college. You know, I was at the very top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I would ask, you know, does your friend have financial security? Because if she doesn't, I would be, I would understand why it's harder to you know, be a hardcore negotiator because what if they say that, no? That is such a powerful point because if you're not in that position, there's still fear and insecurity. Absolutely, and I think that's what is universal. Yep. Right. So this is the perfect time for this um, moving to your company today. You're the founder and CEO of iFund Women. So I'm beginning to even myself connect the dots here on how you've decided to take on this important mission. Um, but can you just talk with us about how you connect women to money and iFund's mission, and then we'll go on from there? Of course, it'd be my pleasure. So iFund Women, we eat, sleep, and breathe debt-free, non-dilutive capital for early-stage women entrepreneurs. So 1,800 net new businesses are started every single day in the United States by a woman. 1,800 new businesses every day. So that's on top of the 13 million existing women-owned companies in this country. Women own around 35% of all the companies in the United States, okay? Um, Yet we are woefully underfunded. These stats will make you nauseous. Um, Women-founded companies receive 2.3% percent of venture capital. 2.3%. Female founders of color receive 0.64% of VC dollars. 97% of venture capital goes to predominantly white male founded companies. Oh, I'm, I'm shaking and, my head. I'm... And there's a lot of reasons for that. And mm-hmm. I can go into that in another podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to come back. Mm-hmm. So the problem we're solving is there's a lack of funding, but it's not just relegated to venture capitalists, right? There's systemic biases baked into the algorithms of the entire financial and banking system. Whether women are going for a small business loan, we are often met with um, lower loan amounts to the tune of 30% lower than our male counterparts. Like if I went in to you know, my local bank mm-hmm. and my male carbon copy, same business, same metrics, same numbers, he would get 30% more on a loan and he's most likely gonna get a lower loan rate than I will. Um, In some states, women still have to have a male co-signer on a business loan. Oh my God. In 2021, yes, ma'am. In blue states. 
we i'm just thank you for sharing this we have to know this we have yes to, we have we to do it's this. and it's a it's, nobody wants to talk about it so it's not just the bcs it's mm-hmm. it's also the the banks where they're you know they have algorithms that they've that and mm-hmm. algorithms are written by humans humans have input data and these algorithms are so dated right they're old of course they are and so at iFundWomen, we're a funding platform mm-hmm. and I'll talk about how it works, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. ultimately we are, we're not a data company in the sense that like we're selling people's data or we're using it for any reason um, other than to rewrite the code on who deserves funding because there are also, you know, contrary to it, it's, it's, it's so maddening because Women are woefully underfunded. Women of color are not funded at all. Right. Yet, when you look at the data and statistics around women and our ability, we are more fiscally responsible. Mm-hmm. We pay back our loans back faster and on time. Um, we are the breadwinners for the most part in our households. Um, we make 80% of the household purchasing decisions. And there's been many studies done lately, specifically one by Boston Consulting Group that um, that looked at venture-backed companies. Mm-hmm. And for every dollar that was invested in a female-founded company, they're delivering two times the amount of revenue <laughs> that the male-run companies are driving. So there's so much data around when women decide to become entrepreneurs. And you know, we have to get over a confidence right. gap. You know, we're more strategic, we plan it out because becoming right. an entrepreneur is, you know, for anyone listening, and if you have a full-time job. Do not quit your good day job with benefits to become an entrepreneur because being an entrepreneur is not glamorous. Mm-hmm. It's really hard and you want to do it in your spare time, dip your toe in the water. And then after a few years of doing it, if you have like real customers and revenue and it's a mm-hmm. thing and you can quit your day job, then great. But don't quit your day job to, you know, go into entrepreneurship because unless you, again, are someone like me who had already built her wealth right. and could take a risk. The three C's that I, I read yes. about your company is I love capital coaching and connection. So it's not only the capital then, and, and you're just giving us coaching right now. So in yes, this conversation, so. which I love. So it's the three things that you've, that you've integrated with your yes. business. Model. So here's how it works. So we are a two-sided funding marketplace. Um, on one side of the marketplace, you've got all the women-owned businesses. There are 13 million in the U.S., about 163 million globally in markets that we serve. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the marketplace, you've got all of the people who want to fund and support the entrepreneurs. So you've got individuals, brands, enterprises, venture capital companies, family offices, wealthy individuals, regular individuals. And in the middle, you've got our marketplace. And there are three products. One is a crowdfunding product, which we strongly, like, in fact, we dogmatically advise um, women-owned business, really any owned businesses, but we focus on women, obviously, women-owned businesses to crowdfund for cash to prove demand for your product or service before you invest in supply. Wow. Fascinating. It is. And it's, it's the, it's the genius of crowdfunding that no one really talks about because when we first started, um, our MVP product, minimal viable product, um, was this crowdfunding platform because one didn't exist for women and we had just come off. So I'm a second time startup founder. 
My first startup was a spectacular failure because I had no idea how to run a business working at Google and YouTube and AOL and all these cushy places does not teach you how to be an entrepreneur. In so fact, important it, for you to say that. Oh my it, goodness. At all. In fact, it brainwashes you into thinking that everything you do is going to be perfect and you're going to print money mm-hmm. and you're going to get all the VC money in the world because you come from Google and it's mm-hmm. just BS. It's just truly not true. So I didn't fail fast and fail cheap. I failed long and expensive. And um, as a Hail Mary to save the first startup, my two co-founders and I, who were all still together, we did a Kickstarter to make payroll. And it was in that experience of crowdfunding in a crisis that made me think, wait a minute, why isn't everybody telling entrepreneurs that their absolute first funding stop on the journey should be crowdfunding for cash to prove demand, to see if people want to buy what you're selling. Because if they don't, no harm, no foul. Yeah. You're not in debt, credit card debt, which is what people do when they start businesses. They run up their credit cards. Mm-hmm. You're not taking out a loan from friends and family or taking out a loan from a bank, even worse, when they're going to take your house. Right. I mean, I have a lot of friends in the business who are climbing out of debt from their startups that have failed. And there's nothing more heartbreaking. So So that's really like Mm -hmm. at the core of what we do is we encourage people to crowdfund and we teach them how to do it through our Mm -hmm. coaching, which is our second C. So first one is capital, which is crowdfunding and also brokered grants. So we, we work with large enterprises like Visa and American Express and Adidas and Unilever and Novartis and all of these corporations who want to support women-owned businesses, especially in the U S because we're the backbone of this economy. Right. right. They know that. They know that. And they also know that women are their customers. Mm-hmm. So both on the B2B side, Visa wants our customers to use their contactless payments. Right. And then on the consumer side, Adidas wants our customers to buy their tracksuits. Mm-hmm. Right. So they, the way to get to our customers or our members, our coveted almost 100,000 members of iFund Women free to join for anyone that wants to come and learn how to raise capital and be a part of the community, totally free to join. Um, But in order to kind of have, not have access to their data at all, uh, I wanna make that very clear, but to have access to brand to them Mm -hmm. and to market to them, they deploy grants through our system. So we built Mm -hmm. a grants logistics product that allows companies like Visa who can't legally give grants directly to their merchants they can do a grant program through iFund Women's right. technology. So that's the first C, that's the capital. And it's all debt-free, which is awesome. And then you've got the coaching. So we realized early on when we were doing the crowdfunding beta that we propped up a Slack channel for people to ask us questions, our beta customers. We made their videos for them for free. We put up their pages for them for free because we all knew how to do this. Like Sarah's a video producer. I can do some graphic design. It was just sweat equity just to see if this thing was going to work, right? But amazing resources for your your clients. Amazing. Yes. And then we started monetizing it. So the, the coaching program was born out of the need to just teach people how to crowdfund Mm -hmm. or teach people how to make a video or teach people how to get their social media stood up. And remember, this is sort of back in late 2016. Um, Or, you know, one of the questions we kept getting on the Slack channel was how do I measure this? And I was like, oh, just put your Google Analytics uh, code in your page and you can look at your Google Analytics. 
And the entrepreneurs were looking at me like, what, what is that? You were speaking not that they were not that they aren't bright women. We picked the best of the best for this beta. There was just, there were photographers, artists, not their um, area, not their area. So I was like, okay, let's get on a Google hangout and I'll set up your GA for you. Mm -hmm. And then they were saying, okay, well, should I advertise? And I was like, absolutely not. Random people do not support your crowdfunding campaign. It's the people that you know, Hmm. but you should retarget. They're like, well, what's that? And I'm like, oh my gosh. So then I became like an agency, a one woman agency. Kidding. Uh, But then, so then it was, well, how do, okay. So then it's, what do you think about this business plan? How is this pitch deck? All of these questions about, you know, how do I do a subscription model? Um, How do I think about pricing? How do I find a co-founder? How do I think about hiring my first person? There were so many questions that were tactical, practical, Mm -hmm. answerable questions that um, informed our entire coaching product. So we built an ed tech that's living within the marketplace that you don't have to crowdfund to to use it. And we have men on there as well. Anyone can use it. We we love this resource Mm -hmm. because so much of it is free. We have free workshops every single day. In fact, today we have another one on PPP. Um, free workshops, everything single day that people can come. It's on Zoom. And then if you want private coaching from a subject matter expert, we've got about 40 subjects that we coach on from tech product to you know analytics to data to funding, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a subscription model. Then you can pay for it's, private it's coaching. It's incredibly powerful. So what you're talking about, and uh, I was in higher education for a long time before. And so you're an educator it's a coach, but you're a big, you're a big time educator. You're, you're educating on technology and all kinds of things. So, but in, in the financial world, one of the things that seems to be a gap, at least a lot lot of women with many women with whom I've spoken say that is, you know, I don't really have any financial education. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a dad or who told me that I didn't have a family background or I did. I just don't have this in my, you know, in my brain or in my life. So um, this whole thing about financial education, you're working on confidence and competence. What do you think is the, is the greatest gap? Where does that gap show up? And, and what do you think about that? Broader, fin- maybe more broadly behind, yeah. beyond your clients, but financial education for women. You know, I put myself in that category, truthfully. I don't have a financial education. I come from advertising. I'm very good at standardized tests. And I went to a big state school. I went to the University of Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And on the first day, they were like, if you want to place out of any of your math, science, or econ classes, just take these standardized tests. I was like, great. I was an African-American studies major with Mm -hmm. a U.S. history double major. I I did not want to go to math class. I hated math (laughs) and science. I was always struggled with it. Um, So I placed out of those, those courses, which I now absolutely regret. Um, so I had to learn by doing, learn how to run a PL, learn what a PL was, learn how to, what a cap table was, learn how to, you know, and these are st- some more sort of business, um, right. business financial finance, skills. Yeah. But just, I think that that financial literacy is, is an issue for most humans. I think that men have an easier time just faking it. And I think women, don't want to fake it because we are inherently better humans. 
So back to your other points about we're better prepared, we have more strategy, we do our research. So the same thing applies to this area, which shows up as we think maybe it's too hard, but it really isn't. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, I don't, they just didn't teach financial literacy in our day, right? They don't today either. They don't today either. Um, You know, I have a coach for me. I run a fintech company. I have so much of the tech and not a lot of the fin. So I have coaches that teach me things every day. I'm always bugging my, my reps at the banks. I'm like, what does this mean exactly? Can you explain this to me? So that's the point though, asking questions, having the mindset was, you know, this is a life, lifelong education. I've got to learn this. I've got to learn all the time about this, just as we do every other topic that's important to, to our lives. Absolutely. And what you're doing is so critical, truly, um, because not, you know, we're in this world where we think like everyone might be talking about it, but really not a lot of people are talking about it. No, because it's so personal. It starts with a personal story. As we said, I mentioned my friend and that comes from a personal history or or experiences or fear or anxieties or whatever. And then all of the things about relationships and and there's studies, I know you've read them. That the other day I read one, women, a group of women said, 61% said they would rather talk about anything other than money. Including it, their sex lives. Yeah, anything. <laughs> I know. So, Sally so Krawcheck quotes from that all the time. Women yeah. would rather talk about anything, including their intimacy mm-hmm. versus money. So that's, you know, with this money stories and, other, and the things you're doing of getting women to realize this is a topic that not only is interesting, fun, but you have to do it just like you have to do everything else. You have, you to. have to do it. And, and I think what it. is nice about the space that we've created is it's, it's a safe space where mm-hmm. none of us are professing to be experts. I mean, I'm an expert on certain things. I'm not an expert on these other things. Right but we will bring in experts and you will feel like you're in a safe space with all other women who want to learn about the same thing. One of the other uh, compelling aspects of your business is um, the degree to which you have clients who are women of color. And, you know, of course, this is not a new topic, but this year, Thankfully, there's some more conversation and visibility about the need for many reasons, this conversation, the need to, for women of color and capital and business. And I noticed you're an African-American studies major in college. Just, just how do, do you, as a, as a human, know and decide to focus on this need and to be, to be so focused on it? How did you decide to do that? Yeah. And it all starts, everything to your point starts in the home when you're little, your money story, your career story. So many things start in the home. And I grew up in a very homogenous, I would say pretty, pretty racist town south of Boston. Um, Boston is definitely, I love Boston, but it's known for being still pretty segregated, which is unfortunate. Um, And I grew up in a very homogenous town there were, you know, very few people of color, if any. I juxtapose sort of my, my experience at school with my experience at home with two very liberal, liberal activist parents mm-hmm. who were we, were, we were music obsessed. So there was always black music playing in my house, 
always from the time I was a baby. There was funk. There was like my dad's fa favorite, James Brown, um, Otis Redding. It was Motown. The great it was like, ones. Yeah, like we, there was just always black music playing in the house. They always had music going. They were just like, the, they are the greatest parents. Shout I definitely out to my parents. <laughs> there, shout out to my parents. Um, and so, and then it was record albums. So I remember just as a small child hiding behind the couch in front of the record player with all the record albums and just looking at the pictures and reading the lyrics. And this was a, this was a place where I felt energized and interested and it was just so fascinating. And then I would go to school and you know everyone was white and Irish. I was like the only Jewish kid there and you know was was made fun of so mm -hmm. like and that's like fine i'm not at all equating that with what um people of color go through but at an early age i knew that something was wrong right like why Big am i living in a place here. with yeah. no people of color yet in my home there was so much culture mm -hmm. you know surrounding me and so that was always a thing. That was just always a thing. So when I went to Wisconsin and I realized that there was a major, you could major in African-American studies. I thought I was like, I found my home. And that was that. And that was really it. That was mm -hmm. the influence, to be honest. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. My parents were super supportive and they, you know, the biggest gift, they, the biggest financial gift they ever gave me was no, they paid for my college. And I know mm -hmm. that they had to mortgage their house a bunch of times because my dumb older brother had to go to Emory, which was a private college. It was so expensive. So they were like, girl, you got to go to a public school. I'm like, fine. Oh. And I loved Madison. So I won out anyway. But, you know, they didn't, um, they, they, I didn't graduate with student debt. But I remember so many times my report cards, they would be sent home sure. in the mail. And my dad would see the classes that I was taking. So like black exploitation in film. Um, there were just so many, you know, amazing classes in my African-American studies major. And he's, he would call me up laughing. He's like, what am I paying for? I'm like, I promise you, I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to class. I'm getting great grades. I'm learning a lot. And one day we will know what this is all for. Love it. And Absolutely love it. That's I'm what, sure. And now here we are. He was teasing you a bit. And he also he was teasing me a bit. Really smart. Uh, with a daughter on his hands too. He was teasing me a bit, but he kind of, he's a lawyer and he was okay. kind of like, where are we going with this? <laughs> I think he was secretly hoping that I would maybe go to law school and it was sort mm -hmm. of like going to inform that, but right. anyhow. So, so. so now then you're, you're, you have this amazing business. We're in the world we're in, we're in the era we've in, we're in, and you're helping women of color get there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when we started I Find Women, it's three white co-founders. And when we were doing our research, we were looking at, okay, who are our customers going to be? They're going to be women-owned businesses, early stage startups. Um, what are, what's the data? Again, 1,800 net new businesses mm -hmm. a day. 89% are started by women of color. Black women are the fastest growing entrepreneurial segment in this country, period, mm -hmm. followed by Latinx women. So- we looked at each other and my two co-founders, Kate and Sarah, were like, what do we do? I'm like, right. we hire engineers, product people, marketers, coaches, across the board, we hire people of color who look like our customers. So we can create the 
safest, most nurturing environment on which to raise capital, mm -hmm. get coaching and make connections to follow on capital to each other. Right. And we do it in a, in a, in a, in a space where people can see themselves in the coaches that they work with and at the employees of the company, because I think the biggest difference between iFund Women and other sort of funding platforms or crowdfunding platforms is we're very much humans. Mm -hmm. Like people see us on, you know, social media, they see us on, they're in their coaching, they see us in every single day, our customers see us as humans through the Zoom, through the Google Hangouts, whatever. Right. Um, and that's our big differentiator is like mm -hmm. the human part of it. And when we launched, um, we launched iFund Women of Color, we launched it before COVID and before the racial awakening that the country mm -hmm. had when George Floyd, Floyd was murdered. And I think this bears talking about a little bit because so when we started iFund Women, our first real year was 2017. Our first employee was a woman named Olivia Owens, who is a founding member of iFund Women, employee number one. Um, and when she started, she started as a marketer. And she and I are kind of attached to the hip because we're always coming up with crazy ideas. And that's just like our shtick. So at the very beginning when she started and we were looking at our customer base and, you know, we were talking about like, do we have a separate section? Do we, you know, what do we do? And we were kind of like, what's the point? Like most of our customers are women of color anyway. So mm -hmm. we're iFund women mm -hmm. and we're just going to make sure that we service our customers the best that we can. So we tried that for two years and it frankly didn't work because what we looked at was cumulative funding volume between 2017 and 2019, 70% of the funding went to white women founders and 30% of the funding went to women of color founders. How, even though the majority of our customers raising capital were women of color. Oh no. And so that was not about to happen on mm -hmm. our watch, mm -hmm. like absolutely not. So we launched iFund Women of Color on stage at the Women's March at oh. the beginning of 2020. And it was one of the proudest moments that I've ever witnessed. I can't even imagine. It was incredible. Olivia announced it and it was to a roaring crowd and it was so incredible. And a lot of reporters asked us like, well, why did you need to start this? Because if I find women was made up of mostly women of color entrepreneurs anyway, like, isn't, isn't that redundant? We said, well, we tried it, but the, the white founders were still able to raise more money exponentially, mm -hmm. even though they were in the minority. So we realized, and you know, Olivia had already known this because she's a person of color and she's experienced it herself. I didn't know this because I'm a white woman and didn't experience this myself, but the access to a network who can help you raise capital, raise follow-on capital, get connected to partners, get connected to enterprises, get connected to you know, uh, co-founders and collaborators and all the things, it's about access. Right. Right. Those are the biggest pain points for women of color entrepreneurs. So when you think about what crowdfunding is, it's when you go out and raise small increments of money from lots of people that, you know, mm -hmm. in your network mm -hmm. to add up to just enough money to get your business off the ground. Well, that's fine. If you've got a wealthy network you, who can exactly. 50 bucks here, a hundred bucks here, here's, you know, 300 bucks, whatever. So it was really I mean, working against itself. It was, it's, it was, working absolutely. Against it was, it yeah. was a rigged system. Mm -hmm. 
So we needed to create a separate platform to shine a bright light on all of these innovative women. And when we did that and, and create coaching that was number one, free of charge always, and number two, super focused on the networking piece um, and building up networks beyond your friends and family. So building up your network within your business sector, building up your network within um, the corporate mm -hmm. sector that was analogous to your business. We've done so much with, I'll give you an example. Unilever is one of our partners and thank you Unilever if you're listening to this. Not only do they do grants, but they also, um, we've done a mentor matching program with them. So if you can imagine, if you are a, um, a new entrepreneur who is a woman of color in whatever city or whatever rural area you can think of, she's on her own and she's making you know, organic hand cream. I'm just making this mm -hmm. up. Actually, it was, it was, it was um, a cleaning, it was cleaning products. This is a real example. No, I love products. the exact specific example. That's awesome. Yep. So she was making cleaning products and she got matched with a brand manager at Unilever who then ma matched her with someone in packaging because she needed help with packaging. I'm just getting goosebumps with this. that access to that level oh. of expertise for a new startup is just gold. It's, like that's it's, what it's about. That's phenomenal. And I was going to ask you, you know, something to finish up here about what's inspiring you, but you've inspired all of us with everything that you've said. And I'm, I can tell that your clients and your business inspire you. Is there anything else I you want to leave what I with do. us? Um, but um, who inspires me? People that are um, actually doing the work right? So obviously I'm very focused on equity and I mean equity, not equality, mm -hmm. equality, yes, but equity for people yes. of color, financial equity, building intergenerational wealth. I am a, you know, I'm maniacal about it. And so the people that are inspiring me that are doing that work are not, you know, not necessarily celebrities or people you've heard about. Um, but the people, I, I would say the corporations that are inspiring me, I, you know, PayPal making, you know, a, uh, an enormous uh, investment in black run mm -hmm. uh, venture funds. Love that. Bank of America doing something very similar. Um, uh, JP Morgan Chase. So, so PayPal, JPM, B of A, uh, you know, the three CEOs mm -hmm. there, they genuinely care and they genuinely, first of all, they know that there's a massive market opportunity. Right. Right. So yes, but they actually do care as humans. And I know mm -hmm. that. So, um, so shout out that, to that inspires not only you, but I know that inspires our listeners too, to be reminded that there, there is a bigger world where the big corporations, you know, you can find some hope there. Definitely. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And we've taken so much of your time. I know you have to get back to it, but just because I know everyone who hears this is going to want to learn a lot more about you and a lot more about iPhone to women. So just remind us how to find you. You bet. Um, so go to iPhoneWomen.com and just sign up. I would say the first step, if you just want to hear what we're about, is go to iPhoneWomen.com slash workshops. They are free. We have them every day. They're open to men and women, entrepreneurs of all ages, as long as you're over 18. 
Um, and come and just learn what we're about because, and then you can talk to the coaches, ask them your questions. No question is a dumb question. You know, we've all had the questions of how do I do what do I do with this? What do I do with that? I think that's the best way to get started mm -hmm. because what you don't want to do is you don't want to just start crowdfunding without knowing how to do it. You don't want to go out and raise capital, whether it's venture capital or getting a bank loan without having the preparedness. So I would say the best way to start is with our coaching and dip your toe in the water with just our free workshops. And then Fantastic. you can find us on the socials. Yep. You can slide into our DMs at iFundWomen our amazing um, social guru, Shaquille Todd, who was just featured on Elevest Social. Fantastic. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll coach you. So you can find us anywhere and there's always humans to answer your questions. So we welcome anyone that wants to come and learn. Well, you're so welcoming. You're so inspiring. You're so awesome. Thank you for everything you are doing in the world and for joining us on Money Stories today, Karen. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having right. me. Blessings. Thank you. See you soon. Want more money stories? Check out my Instagram at lindadavistaylor underscore LDT to learn more about our incredible lineup of guests and share your own money story. Until next time.